Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 15, verses 1 through 19. The Song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurried into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified, and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. I just want to be honest with you and let me tell you, I miss you guys so much. I know we're doing the best we can right now, and believe me, I'm so thankful that we have this amazing technology. Let me tell you right now, I just have to give a shout out and a thanks to Caleb and to Jordan. They are amazing. They've worked so hard to bring this production together. They are lifesavers. So Caleb, Jordan, we thank you guys so much for all the hard work you guys are doing. And for the band and for all of you guys, you guys, thank you guys so much for putting in all this work. But as much as I appreciate all of you guys, I really miss the rest of you. I miss coming together as a church on Sunday morning. I, I appreciate the Zoom and I appreciate the YouTube live stream, but I miss worshiping in the same room with all of you. I miss our sacred assembly, the combined voices, the hugs, the children running around, my kids jumping off the steps or look, trying to jump into the baptismal pool if it's full. I miss you guys. And I eagerly look forward to the day that we can all be back together for worship.
And in the meantime, I so appreciate the fact that we can still dive into Scripture and still worship together. Our text today, our reading today is from Exodus 15, and it's the song of Moses and Miriam. And let me give you a little bit of setting for this song. Two weeks ago, I spoke about the Passover that occurred in uh, Exodus chapter 12, where the last plague came over the Egyptians, but the Israelites were spared. They were passed over by the placing of the lamb's blood on the doors. After this plague, Pharaoh let his people go, let the people go. They got up and they left. And as they were leaving, they plundered the wealth of Egypt and they went on their way. After 400 years of slavery, the Israelites were set free, and they were being led by the Lord in the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night. Pharaoh changed his mind. He was like, nope, I don't like this idea. And he went and sent his armies after the Israelites so he could have his slaves back. So he sent his massive armies and his chariots and horses to go after them. Then Moses did the whole water thing, you know, where he did the staff and the water split open and the Red Sea was open and the Israelites crossed on dry land. The The Egyptians chased after them and the waters crashed back on the Egyptian army after the Israelites made to safety. The people were set free from slavery and delivered from the enemies pursuing them. They are now free to journey into the promised land as a new people. It is in response to this, it is in response to that happening, that Moses breaks out into this song. I love this picture. I love this imagery. I get a picture of a bearded guy with a big staff busting out into song. I mean, music has that kind of power. That's what you just kind of have to bust out into it. It has the power to express emotion, to capture what you're feeling, to let you release. I mean, it does for me. I mean, how many of you guys have a breakup song that you listen to over and over again after a breakup? You know, some of you guys are like, Adele, shout it out for me. Summer after eighth grade, met a girl, summer camp. I was quasi in love. I don't know what love was, but I was in eighth grade, summer after it, met a girl. It ended because summer camp was over, and I listened to Boys to Men, End of the Road, a million times in a row. I sit there sing, although we've come to the end of the road, over and over and over again. So good. That song was so good. Now, all of you who loved early 90s music are feeling me right now. Some of the younger ones are like, who? It just ages me right now, but okay. Music has the power to help you process emotion. It helps you express what you're feeling now and when you don't even know, know it or even understand it. Gina often says that I'll hum a song or sing a song based on like what I'm thinking or feeling without even me knowing that it's happening. For example, she noted that sometimes I'll get into a car, maybe for a long drive, and it's like I'll start thinking how far I'll go from Moana just because we're about to go somewhere far. I don't even know that I'm doing it. I'll just start humming it. It just pops into my head. A while back, Gina and I were dating. I took her to the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. It was supposed to be a random stop. We just happened to be in Atlanta visiting some of her friends. I was like, cool, let's just pull into the botanical gardens. We have some time to spare. When I was getting out of the car, Gina heard me humming to myself, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single I didn't know I was doing it. But she said that was how she knew I was going to propose that day. I did. I proposed. Songs are powerful, and they serve many useful purposes. And with this idea, understand that songs are so powerful to help us process and express emotion. Let's, let's dive into this song of Moses and Miriam. The first thing that jumps out at me at this is the object of the song. Who is the song about? This song is all about God. Moses over and over and over again makes God the object of adoration, 
of praise and also the hero of the song. He's not only the object, but he's the main mover. He says, I will sing to the Lord. The Lord is my strength. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Now, this song could have been about himself. You know, a lot of singers and rappers talk about how I'm the greatest or I'm the best. And that that could have been what Moses did. I mean, Moses took the people out of uh, slavery. Moses suffered. Moses endured. Moses taught. He could have said a song about him. Look what I did. Yeah, I'm awesome. But it wasn't me-centric. It was completely God-centric. The second thing to note is what is this song about? What happened? What is Moses praising for? And I said this earlier, but you got to understand, truly get into what is Moses feeling here? Moses is giving God ultimate praise for the deliverance of his people from bondage and slavery to freedom to travel to the promised land. I mean, do you really get this, the level of this? The people have been set free after 400 years of bondage, after 400 years of oppression, of working to the bone, of beatings, of having your male children drowned. They are now free of their oppressors by the God that their ancestors told them about, by the God they thought might have forgotten about them or maybe wasn't even real. This God worked miracle after miracle to free them. Then when they were free, the Egyptian army tries to take them back, and they're trapped between the army and the Red Sea, and God works yet another incredible miracle, crushes the army while they walk on dry land. How do you not praise? How do you not sing a song about how good and great God is? How do you not dance and clap and shout and make a ruckus? I mean, if I find a $20 bill in my winter jacket, I dance and sing, celebrate good times, all right. I mean, that's a $20 bill, I I stand up and sing. The exodus is so much greater than finding a $20 bill. D.A. Carson says this, the exodus is the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament to which subsequent revelation points to again and again and again. This moment was the pivotal moment for the Israelites. Much like the cross and resurrection is to us, exodus is to the Israelites. They use songs, rituals, holidays, festivals to look back and remind them of this time where God saved them and formed them as a people. This is key. And for us to understand the rest of the Bible, we need to understand the importance of this Exodus as a pivotal moment. Now, the definition of Exodus, if you look it up, type it into Google or a dictionary or anything, means a mass departure of people. The word Exodus is actually from the Greek Septuagint literally comes from the Greek ex, which means out, and hodas, meaning road, and literally translates to the going out. Right, so it's actually the Greek word, not the Hebrew word. The Hebrew def- word for this book was actually names, because it just takes uh, something out of the first beginning of the book. So it literally translates to a going out. D.A. Carson says this, the exodus is simultaneously the escape of the people of God, the Israelites from Egypt, the land of slavery, the exit out of slavery into the promised land it is the exodus. And at the same time, it is a one-word way of referring to the events surrounding the exodus that includes, therefore, the judgment of God on the Egyptians, the plagues. It also eventually includes the giving of the law, the years of wilderness wanderings, and eventually entrance into the promised land. So the exodus is this one time going out, but it's also the whole, it refers to the whole experience from the plagues and the Passover to the freedom of slavery, for the Red Sea to the going out into the wilderness and receiving the law, becoming a people. And so this, this transitional time, this period of time is called the exodus as well. And this is a time of God's intentional revelation to them 
forming them as a nation, as a people, rescuing them from slavery, forming them as a people to go into the promised land together. Fred Fisher states that there are four key points to a pattern seen in the Exodus story that is also seen elsewhere in the Bible. I want to go over those four points. Number one, it was a deliverance accomplished by God and a revelation of who he is. God is the central figure of Exodus. He's the hero king. So the first key point of this pattern that we see in the book of Exodus, we also see it multiple times elsewhere, elsewhere in the Bible, is that it was one, a deliverance accomplished by God and a revelation of who he is. So a deliverance accomplished by God by giving of a revelation of who he is. Two, it was a deliverance from bondage and oppression. It was a deliverance from bondage oppression to freedom and dignity and sonship. Israel became God's chosen people, his possession, his son, in this exodus from Egypt. Three, it was a deliverance which God accomplished through a man. Moses was God's man, his chosen vessel, raised up, preserved, chosen, called, commissioned, and empowered by God. But God chose to use a man for this rescue. And then four, It was a deliverance which created a lasting relationship between God and Israel, a relationship both of privilege and responsibility. It was a a deliverance that just wasn't just a deliverance, but, oh, okay, cool, you're set free, peace. It was a deliverance that was intentional to form a beautiful intimacy, to form a beautiful connection of privilege and responsibility. God was Israel's God in a special sense, and they were God's people. There was responsibility. There was a connection There was a sonship. There was fathership there. So throughout the Old Testament, this pattern um, referring to Exodus occurs over and over and over again. In Joshua's crossing of Jordan, it's full of Red Sea crossing imageries and parallels. This pattern is seen over and over again in Joshua. The Psalms point to this pattern through all its elements, through all its singing as it's pointing to these elements. Isaiah described Messiah's coming again and again in language drawn from the Exodus. David Dobbs states, Isaiah believed Israel's first redemption will be repeated with even greater wonders. His theology was everywhere rooted deep in the sacred tradition. What he's saying, David Dobbs is saying, is that in Isaiah's work, his whole prophecy and the whole book of Isaiah was rooted in this pattern of Exodus, saying the Messiah is going to come in this pattern. This pattern was intentional, and the first great redemptive work that God did in, through the Exodus will be done at a greater level by the Messiah. This pattern is played out again and ultimately fulfilled in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. Here, check this out. This is so cool. I want you guys to see this. Remember, the first point was it was a deliverance accomplished by God and a revelation of who he is. Number one, Jesus, Jesus is the fullness of God and the very revelation of God to us. He fits that pattern so fully. John 1, 18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Colossians 1, 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the fullest revelation of God to us. He is the hero of the New Testament. He's the hero of all of history. He's the fullness of the revelation. He fits this pattern so perfectly because he's the fullness of revelation of God to his people and he's the deliverer. Two, the second point was it was a deliverance from bondage and oppression. Jesus came ultimately to set us free. He himself quoted Isaiah and saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He set free the captives and the oppressed. He is salvation and the great deliverer. G. Ernest Wright sees Colossians 1, 13 and 14 as a deliberate use of this Exodus pattern to express the reality of Christian salvation. It says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see, one, that God, Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. He's the revealing of God, like in the Old Testament pattern, the Exodus pattern. Two, he is the one who delivers us from bondage and oppression. Guys, I don't want you to miss this. As a Passover lamb, as a lamb that was resurrected, as the promised one, as the promised Messiah, he rescues us. He delivers us. For we were part of a different kingdom. We were enslaved to a different kingdom. But he conquers that kingdom. He proclaims liberty to the captives. And he sets us free. From the domain of darkness, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Three. There was a deliverance God, which God accomplished through a man. In the Exodus story, it was a deliverance God accomplished through Moses. But God accomplishes ultimate deliverance through a man who's also God, Jesus. Jesus is the man God uses to deliver. He is a greater Moses. Next to God, Moses is a central figure in the book of Exodus. God raised him up, providentially protected him uh, from the king's decree of killing of death of newborn babies, male babies, called him and commissioned him to lead his people out of Egypt and imbued him with power to accomplish his task. Moses' relationship with God was unique. He was God's spokesman. He was his first prophet. Kind of in, during the interbiblical period of Judaism, Moses became an almost a messianic figure, prefiguring the final redemption of God. He's easily the most significant figure in the history of the Jews, both in Palestine and in the Greek world. Rabbinic literature relates Moses to the coming Messiah. The New Testament uses Messiah, uh, Moses to explain the significance of Christ. Meredith Klein says Moses and Christ are inseparably linked to one another. Check out the, I want, I want you to see these connections here. And this is so cool. I love this. The nativity stories show a mosaic pattern. King Herod ordered the deaths of the baby boys. Does that remind you of anything? Right? Did that happen with Pharaoh and the, Egyptian, the Israelites? Jesus then went into Egypt and then came out. Much like Moses. Jesus, like Moses, used miracles to authenticate himself as a teacher come from God. The connection is so incredible. There's a link with Moses is also seen at the transfiguration. Jesus was accompanied by three people, Peter, James, and John. Just as Moses was accompanied by, to the holy mountain by Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu in Exodus 24. Moses saw the glory of God and his face shone because he saw God. At the transfiguration, the face of the new and greater Moses shone not with a reflected glory, but with an unbarred glory similar to the rays of the sun. At the Passover, Jesus declared himself the lamb. And he was taken and put to death. Paul speaks of Christ as a Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Fred Fisher states this, From the starting point of the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul understood that Jesus Christ is the new Moses, affecting the new exodus of salvation. Jesus is the new Moses. He is the greater Moses. The comparison is there, but so is the contrast. John 1.17 says this, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Moses was a faithful servant who's a picture, he's a precursor to Christ, but Christ was a son over the whole house. Christ was the perfect God-man that willingly suffered on the cross. He's the perfect Lamb of God that purchased a people for God. Moses was the picture. Christ was the actual object of the picture. Do you see this connection there? Four, the pattern said there was a deliverance which created a lasting relationship between God and Israel. A relationship both of privilege and responsibility. Jesus purchased a more fuller nation, a royal priesthood for God. First Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. F.F. Bruce says, The privileges and responsibilities of the new people of God are infinitely superior to those of the old people of God. The new covenant is already in force, established by the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. It consists of one, the implementing of the law in the mind, the implanting of the law in the minds and hearts of Christians, so they will spontaneously know and love the will of God. Two, a personal and unmediated knowledge of God, and three, the complete blotting out of sins. That is who we are. We can know and love the will of God. We have knowledge and intimacy with God. And our sins are completely blotted out by the completed work of Jesus. What? That is so incredible. Jesus could have been enough. He could have said, I will rescue you from sin and slavery to death. I will take you out of that. I will purchase for for you out of that. And then, okay, you're good. You're free. That's not what he does. Jesus purchased by his death. He rescues us out, but then he makes us a people for God. He puts us into relationship. And in his beautiful understanding as co-heirs and inheritors, he calls us son and daughter. Doesn't just rescue us and puts us on our way. He says rescued so that you can be a child of God. Do you see how that's a greater deliverance? A greater people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, just like God formed the nation of Israel together. He's forming us as believers of Christ together into a holy priesthood, a royal nation together. Do you see this incredible pattern from Exodus set the stage for the pattern for see what Jesus was going to do? He was the greater Moses. Our Exodus is the greater Exodus. My people hear this. We are Exodus people. We've been given revelation of who God is through the form of Jesus. We've been set free from slavery and bondage by the work of our true Passover lamb. Our security has been confirmed and our enemy crushed by the resurrection. We now journey onward to the promised land. That is who we are. And this is our song. Are you joining with Moses with rejoicing and victory? Are you singing that song? I put together a little team earlier this week to help us write up a new song of Moses and Miriam after the work of Jesus, after our exodus. And it's not put to music, and I'm not going to sing it, so you're welcome. But here it is. Now, I'm going to put it on so that you can see the words as well, but I'm going to read it out to you. And this is our new song that we wrote, our song of Moses, after um, our exodus, after seeing the Jesus fulfill the work. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both Satan and his schemes he has hurled into the deep. Jesus is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. The church throughout its generations will exalt him. 
the Lord is our champion. Jesus is his name. Sin and death he has hurled into the deep. Lies and accusations are nailed to the tree. Sin with man has God asunder. The wages of sin he has put under. Strength clothed in humility, you conquered through death. In the greatness of your holiness, you unleashed your righteous anger on injustice and sin. When no one could pay the price, you, Jesus, stood in our stead. The accuser boasted, I will tempt them. I will deceive them. I will divide them and make them mine. I will destroy them. But you sent forth the line of Judah to crush the enemy's head. The lamb, the willing sacrifice who triumphed with his blood. What can compare to you, Lord? What philosophy to your wisdom? What human achievement to your grandeur? What earthly treasure to your glorious inheritance? Jesus has overcome the accuser and disarmed him by his death. But by his unfailing love, he leads those he has redeemed into the kingdom come. The nations will hear of kingdom come. The darkness trembles at the news of the light piercing through. Though the kingdom promise once was veiled, the holy city of God will prevail. The enemy is powerless to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Death has lost its sting. Lies have lost their power in the presence of the truth. You have given us the inheritance of Christ, the spirit that dwells among us, preparing us as a sanctuary to dwell in your presence when we see you face to face. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Let us sing, let us dance, let us celebrate. Christ our champion has hurled both Satan and his schemes into the deep. I love that song. I love the victory in it. It is our song. We get to see that song of victory because it's true no matter what is happening now. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know necessarily what's happening in your life. I do know that we're living in an unprecedented time in our world and people are struggling. I don't know if you're going through hard times in your household and amongst your family, if you're dealing with hurt or sickness or death, if you're dealing with marriage issues or, or children issues or financial issues. I don't know what's going on, but I do know that we all go through hard times. But I also know this, that in the midst of any hard time, we have a victory song for those of us in Christ Jesus. We have a victory song that we can sing that is ours and that is true no matter what. That no circumstance, no difficult time, no scheme of Satan or of the evil one can ever, ever, ever take us away. It is our song. It is the song of the Lamb that's been written all throughout the Bible. Will you sing it? Will you claim it? Will you sing it no matter what? I said earlier, singing helps us process our emotions. It helps us to lament and to heal to feel what is going on, to express it. So right now, if you need to lament, my people, please lament. Lament the loss of income in businesses. Lament the loss of graduations and weddings and birthdays. It's okay. Feel it. Express it. But I also want you guys to know that singing is also a pathway to express joy. It's a pathway to joy. Busting out in song allows us to express joy, but also leads us to joy. Because singing helps us remember. It reminds us of the truth that is ours when the world is crazy and you don't feel like you've been set free and you don't see the coming kingdom. Sing. Remind yourself of the truth that you are no longer a slave to fear, that you are a beloved child of God, that God is good and there is no other name but Jesus. Sing when you don't even feel like it. Sing when you need to be reminded. Sing when you need to remember because that is our truth. Will you sing? We also sing because it builds each other up. 
that it can be contagious, that it's inspiring. Because when I look over and I see you when you're in your struggle and in your heartbreak and in your issues, when I see you singing, I can get through my stuff too because you remind me of the truth. When you start seeing I'm no longer a slave to fear, when you have so much to fear, then I also am reminded that I no longer am a slave to fear. Sing because it builds each other up. And sing because it brings glory to God. And I love that. I just think that's so incredible. The, mean, the very thing that helps us heal and process, encourage and express, is also one of the very things that God calls us to do to bring him glory. He adores our singing. Not because it's a pleasant sound. Let's be real, for some of us, it really isn't. Me included. He adores it because it's expressive and real and delighting and praising. It's adoration and prayer and desire and hope. It's intimacy, it's longing, it's relationship. Express yourself to the one and only true lover of your soul and let your heart feel at home. So no matter where you're at, whether you're full of joy or full of sadness, whether you're scared and alone or whether you're surrounded and you're excited, sing. Sing unto the Lord your song that he's placed in your heart by his redemptive work. We are Exodus people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, God, the work of Jesus. God, that we see in the pattern of Exodus, we see this beautiful pattern, God, of you redeeming your people, of giving a revelation of who you are by rescuing, by using a man and bringing into a deep relationship of covenant with you. So we thank you that you ultimately did that in Jesus for us. God, we love you. Will you help us to sing when we don't feel like singing? Will you remind us of this truth? In Jesus' name, amen.